So today is the fifth Sunday in the season of Lent, which is the 40-day period that is modeled after the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness, fasting and facing temptation. Now, throughout the season, we've been reflecting on and dwelling in these stories of Jesus in the wilderness, right? His, his wilderness encounters. We've seen how he was tempted to make food for himself and provide for himself to prove his identity, but he chose to trust his father instead. Uh, he was tempted to perform a showy spectacle, throwing himself off the top of the temple, but he did not test his father and chose instead to be simple instead of the spectacle. He chose simplicity, to live quietly and simply. Last week, we, we saw he was tempted to grab for power all the kingdoms of the world by compromising with Satan, but he chose faithfulness to his father and self-sacrifice instead. Right? These are the things that, that we have seen uh, as he has been in the wilderness. In each of these encounters, we see a little bit more of who Jesus is. A little bit more of what Jesus is like. A couple of weeks ago in our, our little Lent booklet that we've been reading through, I meant to bring my copy up with me, but whatever, um, you guys know, uh, we, we've been reading this booklet with the Desert Fathers throughout the season of Lent, learning from them and that desert community, wilderness community. So a couple of weeks ago we read something that Abba Poeman said. He said, it is in temptation that character is made known. It is in temptation that character is made known. And so throughout these temptations, we have seen Jesus' character come through. Right? We have seen that he trusts his Father. He's faithful to him. We have seen that he is, as he will put it later himself, lowly and humble in heart. Not attention-seeking or attention-grabbing. And we have seen that, that Jesus is a servant who prefers to give up his power rather than a tyrant who wields his power over others. Right? This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus is like. He does not seek the best seat at the table, but rather chooses the table in the wilderness, as we've been talking about. Doesn't choose the table of the world, but embraces the table in the wilderness. Jesus does not live by the whims of the world. Rather, he lives a wilderness lifestyle. Because that's who Jesus is. But surely... As we think about these things, it's relatively easy to choose a wilderness lifestyle when you're out in the wilderness, right? 
I mean, surely we ourselves would be deeply transformed if we had 40 days to devote to silence and solitude and fasting and, and prayer, right? 40 days to put our full attention on God. I mean, what would that do to us, right? I mean, it's clearly done much with Jesus here. What would it do for us to have all of that time, all that wilderness time to be transformed by? But as it turns out, we have lives to live, right? We have things to do. We have jobs to work. We have kids to take care of. On and on it goes. So how can we live this kind of wilderness lifestyle with all of those things going on? What does that look like? Well, today, I'm going to look at how Jesus did it. Because the question is, what happens whenever Jesus leaves the privacy of the wilderness to enter into the public world? How does Jesus live in the midst of a busy life and demanding ministry? Well, what we see as we look to the Gospels is that even when he leaves the wilderness, Jesus carries this wilderness lifestyle with him wherever he goes. So let's Let's take a look. If you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is where we're starting this morning. Uh, We're going to be tracing this theme throughout much of Jesus' life and ministry, but we'll start in Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 32, in just a moment. Now, as you're turning there, over the last 10 weeks or so, we've been meandering through Matthew chapters 4, or chapters 3 and 4. Uh, We've been reflecting on John the Baptist's wilderness ministry, uh, and, and we've been looking at Jesus' wilderness temptations, right? And all of this takes, you know, a chapter and a half in the Gospel of Matthew. Mark tells these stories as well, but he does so much more quickly and succinctly. He wraps it all up in 13 verses, right? Um, I mean, if you're looking there, just verse, verse 13, that Jesus is out there, he's tempted, the angels are attending him, right? He's covered all of that already. And then Mark moves right along. So after his time in the wilderness, Jesus begins his public ministry. He begins proclaiming the kingdom of God. He calls his disciples to follow him. He begins teaching in the synagogues, healing people, casting out demons. Jesus leaves the wilderness and begins living a very busy life. Very busy life, right? That's a lot that he's beginning to do, surrounded by all kinds of people. And so this is where our passage picks up in verse 32. Is Jesus going to get caught up in all of the busyness swirling around him? Or will he continue to live in this wilderness way? Let's read Mark 1, beginning in verse 32. That evening... After sunset, 
The people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the invitation into this wilderness lifestyle and for showing us the way. I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So one of the great summaries of wilderness spirituality comes from one of the Desert Fathers, who we've been reading from. Uh, His name is Abba Moses. And he said this, Go sit in your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. That's it. Go sit in your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. The cell for the desert mothers and fathers was the place of presence and prayer. It was a place where they went to to be with God, to listen to him, to reflect and meditate. That's what the cell was. It might have been a literal room, a hut, a cave. Uh, It could have been uh, sitting under a tree somewhere or on a rock, right? Um, a, A number of different possibilities. But it was whatever place the monk went to pause and be present to God in the midst of life. So when Abba Moses said, go in your cell, sit, and your cell will teach you everything, what he is saying is, go find a place where you can be with God. And that place will teach you everything you need to know. Simply turning our hearts and minds to God will teach us everything that we need to know. That's all that we need. Go sit in your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. Now, uh, along the same lines, uh, Abba Anthony used a metaphor to say the same thing. He said, Just as fish die if they stay too long out of water, 
So the monks who loiter outside their cell or pass their time with men of the world lose intensity of inner peace. So like a fish going toward the sea, we must hurry to reach our cell for fear that if we delay outside, we shall lose our interior watchfulness. So the desert mothers and fathers uh, of Anthony here says to, to stay outside of your cell too long is to be like a fish who gets dried up, right? You need to go to that place. You need to be in the presence of God. Now, the desert mothers and fathers did go out into the desert to live these quiet, attentive lives with God, but they also had things to do. They were also very active people, uh, as we learn from, from their history. Some of them became gardeners or farmers, uh, committed to the very hard work of cultivating the desert into a place where things might grow, right? That's a lot of work, right? Cracked, dry ground, digging that up, cultivating it, uh, turning it into something that might produce fruit. Uh, this is work that they actually did. Uh, others of them became weavers and, and would sit in their cell and they'd weave and they'd create and they'd bring the things that they made into nearby villages to sell and trade so that they could get the things that they needed, right? So uh, they were active people, right? They weren't just sitting out in the desert doing nothing all day. Um, they, they were doing things. They, they had jobs, they had work to accomplish, uh, and they would go into the town and, and take care of business, but they would not linger there because staying there for too long is like a fish out of water, desperately needing to get back to their cell, their place to be with God. Rather than getting caught up in the business and the busyness of the world, they would faithfully do the work they set out to do and then faithfully return to their place of prayer. This was the life of the desert mothers and fathers who we've been reading from and learning with. But here's the question. Where do you think they learned this? Where did they learn this lifestyle? Well, look at the story we've just read about Jesus. Right? Jesus is busy about his work. He's ministering to people, healing them, blessing them. I mean, it says the whole town gathered at his door. That's a lot of people. Right? It's busy. It's noisy. What a day. Jesus must have had. And then what? Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Uh, like a fish going to the sea, Jesus goes to his cell. Jesus goes to his solitary place where he prayed. This is a pattern in Jesus' life. In the temptations, we saw him move 
from the temptation of spectacle to the temptation of simplicity. We saw him uh, move from the temptation of power to, to a place of sacrifice, on and on. And throughout his ministry, we see him moving from the busyness of the multitude toward solitude. From the multitude to solitude. And look at what happens when Jesus does this, right? Abba Anthony said, returning to the cell would restore inner peace or interior watchfulness, which is to say that these times of prayer give a person clear eyes, give a person fresh perspective. Abba Moses says, going to the cell will teach you everything you need to know. And so as we look at this, I I love the difference between Simon and Jesus in this scene, right? There's something almost comical about it when you really look at it. Simon and the others are rushing around anxiously looking for Jesus. Where is he? Where did he go, right? I mean, he was here last night. No one can find him. Meanwhile, Jesus is peacefully praying by himself spending time with his father. When Peter finally finds him, he goes, everyone's looking for you. Where have you been? He's indicating, hey, Jesus, it's it's time to get back to it, right? There's more people to minister to. There's more sickness to heal. There are more lessons to be taught. There's a long line of people, and they're all waiting. Come on. Now, if Jesus were looking... To, to build his brand, so to speak. Uh, if, if he were, were looking to kind of, uh, you know, build up his own ministry or something, well, that's exactly what he ought to do, right? I mean, let's keep riding the wave of success. Things are going well. Let's keep going. Grow this ministry. Set up shop. Things are working so well. So, so let's stay here. But Jesus is not building a brand. He's building the kingdom of God. And time away from the busyness, the demands, the expectations, even just a little bit of time in the morning has given him clear eyes and fresh perspective. And now he knows it's time to move on. Jesus says, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to the nearby villages. That's why I've come. Right? He, he didn't come to meet everyone's needs. He didn't come to, to build up his own stuff. He came to establish the kingdom. And so he turned down what could have become a, a steady job, Right? I mean, he, he could have had a long and successful ministry there in Capernaum, which is where this, this scene takes place. But instead, he chooses to move on. He turns down the steady job. He turns down the, the, the wave of success that started coming his way. And he chooses with utter confidence and peace to continue on. Why? Because he has paused to spend time 
with God, his Father, in prayer. Because he went back to the cell to be with God. Because he moved from the busyness of the multitude into solitude. He turned away the attention that had all been put on him because he had his attention set on the Father. This is what we see, this pattern in Jesus' life. And this is just one instance of it. Uh, but, but it's this constant theme that continues throughout his life and ministry. Let, let me show you uh, some more of these instances. Uh, and another one, in addition to, to seeking solitude, he also consistently refuses fame. Right? He's not trying to build up himself and become famous. If we just look at the very next section uh, that we've been looking at here in, in Mark chapter 1, uh, Jesus leaves Capernaum, heads out to some other places, and along the way, Jesus comes across a man with leprosy. And he has this tender exchange with him, and he heals him. And then in verse 43, it says that Jesus sent him away at once. With a strong warning, he tells the man, see that you don't tell this, this healing that has happened, to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Right? Uh, Jesus actively refuses fame. Right? He tells this man, and he does this to many other people along the way, don't tell anyone what happened, right? Don't go spread the word, right? I mean, that could be free marketing. But he says, no, don't do that. Don't tell anyone. Jesus is quite comfortable in quiet anonymity. He's very comfortable in obscurity. He's not looking for fame, Nevertheless, as we keep reading, this man who is healed uh, goes out, begins to talk freely. He spreads the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, right? Everyone knows about him. Everyone's looking for him. So what does he do? He stays outside in lonely places. He continues to pursue the wilderness, even amidst the busyness and the attention that's coming to him, he continues to live this wilderness lifestyle. Jesus consistently refuses fame, actively avoids the spotlight, and he returns to quiet, lonely places where he can be present to his Father and pray. This is what Jesus does. He goes back to the cell as the desert mothers and fathers called it. He does this in his own life, but he also models this and teaches it to his disciples as well. Amid the frenzy of crowds, he calls his disciples from the multitude into the solitude with him. Uh, flip ahead to Mark chapter 6. We'll look at another one of these instances here. Mark chapter 6. And we'll pick it up in verse 30. Mark chapter 6. Uh, Jesus has, in the meantime, sent his disciples away 
to go and and preach and, and proclaim the kingdom of God, to minister to people themselves. And afterward, they returned to Jesus, and it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Jesus didn't only practice this himself. He also taught it to his disciples. Come away to a solitary place. You guys have done great work, right? You've been out there among the people and the people are now rushing in on you. So come, let's come away. Let's get some rest for a while. As wonderful as it is to be needed, as great as it is to be popular in the middle of a crowd, Jesus teaches his disciples to resist that temptation and instead return to their cell, to to return to their place of being present with God. Now, as the story continues in Mark chapter 6, it it turns out as they go looking for their solitary place, they will once again be ambushed by crowds of people, right? They they get into a boat, they they head across, and and, and so on. But when they get there, there are people everywhere, right? They they, uh, arrive at this place that's supposed to be solitary, but people are everywhere. They've already found out, hey, they're going to end up over there. Let's go. And Jesus sees crowds of people gathering once more. And when he sees them, it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he begins to teach them and minister to them. Now this shows us some nuance in this principle of coming away, going to the cell, spending time with God. Because you see, it's important to spend time with God. It's important to get away and have those special moments, right? Like a fish going to the water in order to to refresh and, and reset. This is essential. However, it can be easy for time with God to devolve into a legalistic checklist. Have I done it or not? Right? Did, I, did I check in? Did I, did I punch the clock with God today or not? It can also be easy to turn it into an idol. Something is an end in itself. Right? There are days when, for whatever reason, we won't have time to be alone with God. And when that happens, we don't need to beat ourselves up about it. We don't need to feel guilt and shame whenever that doesn't happen, like a rule that we've broken. Similarly, we need to resist turning it into an idol. Uh, There have been times that my usual quiet time was interrupted for whatever reason, 
And I become grumpy, frustrated, impatient. I was trying to pray. Why is, why is this happening, right? And when that happens, it's a sure sign that this quiet time was no longer about being alone with God, but it had become about being alone with myself, right? Uh, that can happen too. Sometimes time with God needs to be interrupted because it stopped being time with God. And it's become a checklist that we're checking off, or it's become an idol that we're worshiping in and of itself. Jesus emphasizes the importance of solitary time, but he's also discerning. And so he's brought his disciples to come away and rest, but when he sees this crowd, he has compassion on them, and he cares for them. And so what follows is this wonderful story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Out of his compassion, he teaches the crowd, he feeds the crowd. But then look at what happens once everyone has eaten their fill. In verse 45, we read, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. Well, he dismissed the crowd, and then after leaving them, Jesus, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So right after this happens, he dismisses them, and he goes to pray by himself. Uh, John adds another uh, interesting detail in his telling of the story. In John chapter 6, he writes, after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, right, this, this miraculous feeding of 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is coming into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Whoa. Right? So here's what happens. Once Jesus and the disciples have compassionately cared for the people, he sends the disciples away. They don't stick around for autographs. They don't shake hands with all the people. They don't, you know, soak in the numbers and the fame. Oh, 5,000 people. Wow. Um, No, he sends them away. Jesus didn't stick around to to be appointed and crowned and exalted as king, right? He could have done that. But instead, he withdrew to a mountain by himself to pray. Throughout his ministry, Jesus pursues solitude. He refuses fame. And he teaches his disciples to do the same. This, too, is is part of the wilderness spirituality. Uh, This past week in our Lent booklet, we heard something from Amos and Kletika, who said, Just as treasure is soon spent when brought out into the open, so does virtue quickly perish when publicly displayed. Just as wax soon melts when brought to the fire, so the soul is weakened by praise and loses its former strength. Whenever we do good things, as good as they might be, for attention, 
And for praise, they're no longer good things, but they actually begin to do damage to our souls. And this is what Jesus demonstrates and teaches to his disciples. He, he does minister to people. He does care for the crowds. But alongside that, he refuses fame. He resists getting caught up in the busyness and the expectations that are put on him and instead consistently returns to his father in prayer. Consistently goes back to the cell. He constantly moves from the multitude into solitude. Now, there are a lot more examples of this that that I jotted down and would love to share with you, but I'm mindful of our time, as I like to say. Uh, So let's just pause for a moment. We've traced this theme in the life of Jesus. How can we live this in our lives? How can we live this wilderness lifestyle ourselves? I want to acknowledge a couple of things that that we see uh, in in these various experiences that Jesus uh, has and, and draws his disciples into. One of them is our need for God. Our need for God. We need God, right? Uh, This is something that's easy to forget about. It's easy to look past, but we need God. Uh, This this morning in in class, we we were talking and and someone shared, I need to wake up in the morning and and just remind myself, I'm not God, right? Uh, We need God. There is a deep need that we all have to come to God, to set our attention on him, to be met by him. And and, and here's the other thing that we see. We have this need. God meets us there. God meets us when we seek him. God loves when his people, his children, draw near to him and seek him. Right? If Jesus needed to come away and draw near to his Father, how much more do we? And over and over throughout his ministry, Jesus consistently teaches, your heavenly Father loves you. When you pray, go into your closet, go into your cell, pray and you will be seen by your Father who sees what is done in secret. You'll be met there by him, right? We have this need, and God generously meets us in it. And so, some practical questions. What is your cell? What is your cell? What is your place to be with God? Maybe there's a special corner in your home, a special chair that you like to sit in, 
It doesn't have to be there. Maybe there's a, a, a park bench or a tree in a nearby place that you can go sit and be with God. Maybe it's not even being still. Maybe it's going out, just going for a walk. Maybe that's your cell. What is your cell? What is your place to be with God? Do you have one? Do you need one? What would it look like to find that place in your life? To go and be with God? I mean a very literal place of some kind. Where is that? Some of you might think, okay, I've, I've got a place, right? Okay, I can, I can have this. I, I, I'll do it there. I'll, I'll go there. But what do I do? How, how do I meet with God in that place? I love that question, right? Uh, that, that question is a dream come true for, for me, right? Let's, let's explore this. What does it look like to be with God, to meet with God? I want to say two words. What should time with God look like? Simplicity and authenticity. It should be simple and it should be authentic. It doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be a, a bunch of words, a bunch of fancy prayers, a bunch of just being with God. Keep it simple, but it needs to be authentic. Keep it real. Bring your true self there. Bring your whole self there. Even when you're not sure or don't want to or don't know, bring your self. Uh, some of you may have noticed this, some of you might not, but, but out in the, in the foyer, in the entryway, there's uh, you know, this little display case that's been there for ages. And um, recently, I filled it up with some papers. Uh, you might have just walked right past it and had no idea, but a couple weeks ago, I filled it up with some things. There are several resources out there that are labeled time with God. How, how do I spend quiet time with God, right? Grab one of those. There's a few of them. Uh, it's got some practical ways to, to enter into prayer, to take the Lord's Prayer that we pray every week and bring that into your own life, to, to maybe open up to some of the Psalms and turn them into prayers, right? There, there are these practical ways to meet with God. What do I do? Let's explore that together. Some of you might go, I, I still don't really know what to do. Well, if, if that's you, maybe you need some help, right? Maybe there's someone to pray with. Uh, the word monk literally means alone, solitary, right? It comes from that root mono, which means single, um, but the irony is that a monastery is a place where people are alone together, right? This is something we can do. Let's come away to be alone with God together. This is something that we can do. Is there a family member that you could pray with? Is there, is there a friend Right? One of the practices I have is once a month, I meet with a spiritual director. Uh, this is someone who just creates space for me to share, to reflect. He listens, responds, and prays for me. That's such a gift. Right? Uh, there's a few folks 
and in the church who I've gotten to meet with in such a way, to journey with, to listen, to pray with you. I would love to do that, to join you in this journey. Who can you bring with you in this journey of prayer? Now, as I talk about all of this, I do want to be honest and say, as we try to make space and room for God to meet with God, there may be some things in our life that need to change. Some of the habits we've gotten into might actually need to be disrupted. We might need to give up some things. Uh, that's what the wall out there is about during this season, right? Feast or Fast from these various things. Why? So we can feast on the good stuff. There might be some things that need to be disrupted in our life so that we can grab hold of these good things of God. I want to say one more, one more thing, because there, there are some here who, who might just go, I, I don't have any alone time or space in my life. I'm thinking particularly of those with children, right? It just take up every single moment of life. Uh, you know, you wake up, they're calling for you. They, they need you. There's a really great little book called Domestic Monastery. Um, and in this book, uh, the author, was, it, he was originally having this conversation uh, with someone uh, about, you know, needing to spend time with God and get alone. And this woman responds and says, I have kids. How the heck am I supposed to do that? And he goes, good point. <laughs> and he begins to reflect on it. But he points to something. Because see, there is the monastic cell, uh, the place where you go. But there's another component to a monastery. And that's the monastic bell. Right? Uh, some of the guys who went to visit the monastery last summer remember this. Every several hours, the bell rings. And that bell is a reminder, it's time to pray. Set down whatever you were doing and let's head to pray. Now, you may not have a, a cell, uh, but what he says in this, in this book as he talks about a domestic monastery is there are all kinds of bells that are ringing, right? A child begins to cry. Uh, uh, a, a, you know, it's time for a meal. Uh, it's it's, maybe it's nap time, whatever the case may be. And there are other things too, right? Those of us with jobs, maybe it's our phone buzzes, an email comes into our inbox, uh, whatever it might be. What if we treated those things as a bell reminding us to pause and pray, right? What if the buzz of our phone was not a distraction that pulls us away from God, but a reminder to turn our attention to God? What if uh, the needy noises of a child was not a, a distraction that, that pulls me away, but a reminder to pay attention to God, who's just as attentive to us when we cry out for him? And that bell can prompt us to respond in just, again, a simple, authentic way. Maybe it's just to say, our Father in heaven. And that, let that be your prayer. 
Maybe it's just your kingdom come, your will be done. Let that be your prayer, right? These ways to transform our everyday lives into a monastery, to continually return to the cell. We have a deep need, but God will meet us in that place if we seek him. And so my prayer for us is that we would continue following Jesus in the wilderness every day, in the midst of the busyness and the chaos. May we continue to live wilderness lifestyles as we follow Jesus there. Amen.